Howdy, friend, and welcome to episode 12 of the Old Hat Podcast. This is James Chambliss, your host, also known as Old Hat. Glad you're here for episode 12. We've made it through 11, and now we're here at the Dirty Dozen. And I tried really hard to think of some dirty story to tell you for the Dirty Dozen, but so far, no, it's just still family-friendly, kind of boring stuff. So hang with me. It's good stuff. Hang in there is good advice because it's tornado season. Today is brought to you by coffee and by tornado season. You may not get tornadoes where you are, but where we are, we have spent a lot of time this spring down in our safe room in the basement. And a lot of people have been doing that lately around here. Not just here, but all up through the Midwest. Had a terrible tornado in El Reno, Oklahoma, which was kind of small and only on the ground for just a tiny amount of time and really, really destroyed the town and uh, killed a couple people, hurt a bunch of folks. Very dangerous place. Uh, you know, tornadoes are just dangerous. It doesn't matter what you do. You're in danger if there's a tornado in your area. It may or may not hit you, but it is a terrifying thing to go through. Read a story from a guy in El Reno. It happened so fast. He said the first thing he knew about there being a tornado in town was when his mom called and said that uh, she and his children were trapped in her house, couldn't get out because of the destruction. Scary way to find things out. There was one last night, in, or several last night in Ohio. Uh, Salina, I think is how you say it, outside of Dayton. Just terrible destruction. It's just amazing. Uh, how destructive these things are. There's just so many things, just trees that are huge and old are just twisted out of the ground. Roofs are gone completely. In the one in uh, El Reno, Oklahoma, I was looking at the photos and, and the second floor of a motel was gone. Uh, it just took off the roof and most of the rooms were gone and sitting in the hallway on the second floor was a dumpster that it had taken out of the parking lot and deposited on the second floor stairwell of this hotel. Just amazing power. Lots of damage done. I'll never forget as a young fireman, uh, we had a tornado come through our town and, and we rolled out and went to where we had been told it had touched down and there was an apartment complex there. And as we pulled into the parking lot and I stepped down off the tailboard, look, I told you it was a long time ago. We rode on the tailboard of fire, fire trucks back then. Um, the first thing I saw was in a puddle of water on the ground was a family photo. No frame. It had obviously spent years in a frame. You know how they'll be darker under the frame. The frame was gone. No glass. Just this perfect photo down in this puddle of water. The, the destruction was amazing. The whole second floor was gone. There were still stairs that went up to the second floor, but the only thing that was above the first floor was one of the handrails from one of the stairs that was still there, and everything else was gone. They found most of the roof miles away. It's just the destruction was amazing. And of course, you know, you're overwhelmed by that level of destruction, and so you just go into uh, your training, and you start looking for people, and you start treating wounds and setting bones and calling for ambulances and loading people in and you know, I have to tell you that what was most astonishing to me about that was not the destruction or how many people were hurt. I was most amazed by the fact that anyone survived. It just didn't look like it was going to be remotely possible for anybody to have survived in that apartment complex, but nobody died there that day. I don't know if they got downstairs. I just don't know. But they were all, you know, Different levels of scratches, and a lot of people were hurt. There were some head wounds and some broken bones, but everybody survived it, which was just astonishing standing there looking at the destruction. 
But if you live in tornado country, you get the same warnings all the time this time of year, um, you know, spring and fall, really. You look for that small windowless interior room. And in our neighborhood, they've actually made memes out of that uh, with the face of Mark Skirto, our, our favorite local weather prophet. And because uh, that's what he says when there's a tornado on the ground. He says, folks, you got to find a small windowless interior room because you want to be in the middle of the building. You want to be a, as many layers between you and outside as you can get. And you don't want any windows. You just want to be as protected as you can. And that's the best way to do that. You can also, uh, if you've got a bike helmet, put it on. I usually have a cowboy hat on when it's going on. That's my bump cap. Uh, if you've got bike helmets, put your kids in bike helmets. A lot of people get in bathtubs and pull mattresses over the top of them because things fall in. You know, one of the guys in Oklahoma that was in the hotel was on the first floor and he never heard a siren. He never knew anything about the weather. The first thing he knew was when the ceiling fell in on him in bed and he fought his way out and then started going looking for other people to help. But that small windowless interior room has saved a lot of people. My, my favorite sister, Lana, not to be confused with my favorite sister, Linda, and my favorite sister, Bobby. My favorite sister, Lana, went to help after a tornado in Granbury, Texas, a couple of years ago in the house that they were sent to. You know, what you do is you show up and you sort through looking for people's belongings, see if there's anything you can save, uh, anything you can salvage of their life, everything that's there. And she said this house, there was nothing but a, a, a concrete foundation slab and a toilet. There was nothing else there. The man in, that owned the house showed up at some point and uh, some of his family was still in the hospital. And through an interpreter, he told my sister that, they were in that bathroom hanging on to that toilet through the whole thing. And that's the only thing that survived was that toilet. So good place to be. I've got a friend named Bob and a tornado hit his house in Oklahoma a few years ago. And his, the, all of his family, his wife and all their kids and his one grandchild were down in the tornado shelter underground, but they were out of room. And so he went in and got in the small interior closet. And, you know, after the tornado, I think it was an F4, hit their house, there was nothing left except the closet that Bob came out of to go find his family, which had been, you know, debris had covered up uh, the tornado shelter. Just terrifying. He didn't know, you know, there at the end of his, if everybody had gotten in the shelter or not. And then some people came to help pull the debris off and get his family out in there. They all survived, but man, it, it'll change your life for sure. And you never look at the weather reports the same way after something like that. And, you know, everywhere has something like that. I mean, people have always been, I can't believe you live in Texas because they have tornadoes. And I'm like, yeah, but you live in California and y'all have earthquakes. You live in Florida and there are hurricanes. I mean, and of course, these days in Texas, we have earthquakes, too, and we have hurricanes down on the coast. So, OK, I get it. Texas is a little wild. I, I'm with you on that. But some things unnerve me more than others. Years ago, I was in uh, California, and I was sitting in a restaurant in San Jose, California, and I by myself, and I'm reading a book and eating lunch. And and my book starts shaking. And you know how sometimes you'll, you know, you'll get a muscle spasm or something, and your arm will start jerking a little bit on its own? And that's what I thought happened. So I pick up my arm off the table, because it's a good book. I'm reading along, and it's still shaking. And I look... At the table, maybe it's me, right? I look at the table and my tea glass is wobbling across the table, kind of walking across the table. And I grab it and hold it and the table is shaking. And 
I look around and everybody's really calm, but y'all, the earth is moving. That's not right. So I throw some money on the table because I remembered, you know, you're supposed to be in a doorway and I'm, I get to the doorway and I'm like, you know, what's even better? Get outside. So I went outside and was telling somebody about it later that day and they're like, oh man, that was just a little shiver. You know, that was a 3.0 on the Richter scale. That's nothing. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm from Texas where the earth doesn't move unless tornadoes pick it up and chunk it. And it's amazing how okay you are with that when you're somewhere else that has different problems than your area. But it seems like no matter where you live, uh, they have early warning systems. You know, they, they have, they're, they're working on ways to try and figure out what's going to happen next. And then they have systems in place to talk about how bad it is to give you information. My friend Constance lives in Japan and they get earthquakes all the time. She's very calm about it. I would panic every time, but she always gives an update on Facebook because we're all watching earthquake news sometimes too. And she's like, barely felt it here or her husband felt it and she didn't, or they both felt it or what didn't set off the alarm. Y'all, we don't have earthquake alarms. We don't have tornado alarms. That would, that would be awesome if it just really worked like that. What we do have are in town, you have sirens. So they'll set them off whenever there's been a tornado warning issued by the National Weather Service. That means, look, we, we've got rotation or somebody has actually spotted a tornado somewhere. If you hear a siren somewhere in that nearby area is a tornado on the ground. Well, we live in the country. We don't have that. We, we just, you know, you have to look for other ways. And of course, before there were sirens and, you know, bigger areas, uh, it was a bigger problem. So it's, it's good to listen to those things, but you don't have them out in the country. So you, you learn to listen to the local weatherman. You learn to watch the weather yourself. And of course, these days I have a radar on my phone. It's the coolest thing. The AccuWeather app is what I've got. Really, really great. It's a it never seems to work when there's something right in my area. I have to go to the local weather guy, but he's on or she's on and they have maps up and so you can get them on your phone. You can you can actually watch them live on Facebook now. And there's a lot of storm chasers on Facebook that, uh, you know, they don't necessarily cover the entire country, but they're watching the weather in the entire country and they can tell you, oh, this is happening here. So one of those guys I watch was in Texas when we had a tornado here last week and then he was in Kansas for their tornado outbreak and he was in Oklahoma for their you know you start wondering if it's this guy right but he's just watching the weather that closely so you you pay attention to people like that and you kind of know what's going on in your area and all of that helps but I have to say country folks have known for a long time that uh, animals are pretty good indicators too well they can be if you have an eight pound poodle that is primarily food motivated. The only thing she's ever worried about is uh, there not being enough to eat in her bowl. So Chloe's not really disturbed by weather as long as there's food in the house. And Emmylou is so disturbed by weather that you don't even know what, you know, if you went by Emmylou the Wonder Dog's uh, attitude during a stormy weather, you would assume we were all going to die all the time. The minute that it thunders anywhere within a 500-mile radius uh, my beautiful black and white brave border collie is quivering at the back door, begging to be let in. And when you open the door, she gets in and runs to the basement and lays down there in the floor like, oh, I can't believe y'all aren't down here. You're all going to die. I'm going to miss you so much. Come down here right now. <laughs> and she's sweet and she's smart and she's the best ball playing dog I've ever seen in my life. But she is just absolutely terrified of thunder 
or guns going off or fireworks, and she's just not a good indicator of what the weather may or may not do. I remember when we lived in Wood County, we were kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and we had one and a half channels. That's what we called it. We didn't have cable. It didn't come out that far. We had one and a half channels, really. One you could hear and one you could see. And so you'd listen to the weatherman on one channel, and if you wanted to see the weather map, you'd click over to the other channel. So sometimes the best thing to do is walk out and see if the horses were disturbed, see if the cows were upset, see if the goats were running around. Because if you look out at a horse corral and the horses are running in circles, something is going on. If the cows, instead of either laying down chewing their cud or walking around eating grass or upset, you know, and crowding around the only tree in the pasture, because for some reason cows are like lightning magnets. That's another story. Uh, you know something's going on with the weather and you need to get to that small windowless interior room and cover your head with something. Well, the dogs I have now are not great weather indicators in that sense. They're not good at pointing out problems. They're, uh, one of them is uh, not afraid of anything. The poodle is not afraid of anything. And Emmylou's afraid of, well, everything. <laughs> so really neither one of them are good indicators for the weather. But used to have one, Toby the Wonder Pup, Toby the Big Dog. Um, he was a great uh, barometer for both weather and trouble and you could look at him whatever was going on and if he was calm then you probably were calm if he was upset you probably ought to be upset if he was alert and looking around you better be alert too and uh, he was really good at knowing kind of what was going on and if something was around you needed to be worried about which made for some good stories and i'm going to tell you one of them now so at sassy ranch the ranch i've given you a kind of a mental tour of recently uh Went to the front gate with Toby, and, and we did the same thing every day. I'd get out, open the gate, and when I got out to open the gate, he'd jump down. And then he'd go check his traps. He just, not, not really that he was setting traps, but he just went around and, uh, you know, he was ranch security, right? Like Hank the Cow Dog, if you read that series. Great set of books. Um, but he would, you know, he would wander off and sniff on everything and had to pee on everything. That's just what dogs do. And so he'd hop out at the gate. I'd get back in the truck, and I'd normally drive down to the main barn and brew some coffee and walk around and check things and find my saddle and make sure it was ready to go. And usually about the time I was saddling a horse, Toby would show up and we would ride through the calves and see if anything needed any doctoring usually is what we were dealing with there. If I didn't have any young calves that were segregated, I would usually go through in a, in a truck and just look. And if there was a problem, come back with a horse because you had to have a horse to solve problems. Um, but you know, when I had a lot of young calves, I would end up just saddle the horse. Cause you know, something's going to be sick and need a shot. And if you're the cowboy, you're the vet, you're the doctor, you're the one taking care of the illnesses. And so you ride through on your horse and you've got a saddlebag full of medication and, and, uh, needle guns or whatever you need to, to treat whatever animals and your lariat rope and your dog. Right. And so you, you see a calf that's sick and you'd rope it and throw it down and then you'd give it a shot subcutaneous usually for those of you listening that are in the medical field <laughs> if you want to be a vet but don't want to go to school be a cowboy somewhere because you end up doing a lot of the same stuff so that's how my morning usually went and toby would come find me when he was through wandering around the pastures and we would go check on calves and everything be fine well this one particular day i had just recently shipped out all the calves so really all i had on the place at the time uh, were mama cows, and they're pretty low maintenance at that time of year. There wasn't much to do with them except drive by and look at them every once in a while, make sure everybody's still there and still okay. 
So before I left the house, I made a thermos full of coffee and picked a sack lunch and planned on spending my day down in the bottom pasture. So if you remember from the front gate, you drive about half a mile and it opens up out of the trees and the main barn is there. But I didn't stop there this day. I went on down the hill and drove past the Dutch Roof Barn and crossed over Black Creek and went down to the Double Blue Gates. If you remember the Double Blue Gates, you know, you can turn left and go to the Wayback Pasture, the Far Back Pasture, or you can go to the right and you can go down into the Bottom Pasture, which is what I intended to do. Because like I said, there were a lot of old home sites down there before the family that assembled this great big piece of land got to it. There were a lot of smaller home places on it. Well, what that meant was there was a lot of really old cross fencing, which is a great thing to have if it's in good shape. But what these were, were, you know, they could have been 100 years old, rusty barbed wire and broken over fence post. And so, you know, you didn't really see it. They're overgrown with vines and weeds and little trees. Well, if you're running through that pasture on a horse and you hit some of that old barbed wire, down you go in a tumble of cowboy and uh, horse. And that's never good, right? <laughs> have that kind of wreck and rusty metal that's never a good thing to have laying around a ranch with cows cows love to eat weird stuff i don't even know why but cows always find a way to get themselves in a bind and so i'm you know for a long time i'd been going down there in the afternoon when i was through with most of the work of the day and pulling up uh, old barbed wire and winding it up throwing it in the truck saving it at the barn because we didn't really used the word recycle much back then. What we used was uh, conservation. That was the word. That's what we were trained to do was to conserve things, especially in the country where there was no trash pickup. You know, if you had trash, you had to haul it to the dump yourself or you had to burn it if it was burnable or you saved it until you had another use for it. What was really funny was going to the different uh, fairs and trades days and there were women that were making wreaths for doors out of old Rusty barbed wire. I'm like, hey, I got a use for all this stuff now. <laughs> but this day I just drove straight to the bottom. I didn't stop at the barn and I went to the right at the double blue gates and I'm way out in the pasture. You know, you can get three miles from a phone on this place. This was all before cell phones came out. And I'm out there and I've got bolt cutters and I've got uh, fence pliers and I'm pulling up old barbed wire and winding it up and throwing it in the bed of my truck. And I've been doing this for, I don't know, an hour and a half, and Toby hadn't shown up yet, and I wasn't worried about him because I didn't worry about much back then, and certainly not Toby. He's grown. He'll show up when he wants to show up. I'm just not concerned about that. So I'm just working along with not a problem in the world, just uh, got all day to pull up barbed wire, and this parade of farm vehicles comes down the road. <laughs> now, from where I'm at, you can see all the way up the Iron Ore Road to the Double Blue Gates, and then beyond that, up the hill uh, to the Dutch Roof Barn, and then even almost up the hill to where the main barn is. You can see the top of the main barn, so it's really clear. And I'm watching, here comes a truck, and here comes another truck, and here comes another truck, and it's just a parade. What are these people doing? And I'm just standing there trying to figure out what's going on, and Happy, the main vet, he's driving in front in his Suburban, and then Frank's behind him in the vet truck, and then Nelson's behind them in his truck, and then comes Jody's truck, and then comes Wanda's truck, and they get to the double blue gates, and about the time they get there, I realize Toby is hanging out of the passenger window of Happy's Suburban, which is first in the line of this parade. <laughs> he's just hanging out, looking around, and I'm just standing there going, what in the world is going on? Just 
jaw dropping to see all these people. I don't see that many people in a week and much less in the bottom pasture of my ranch. And so I'm watching just, I don't even know what to do. I'm just standing there holding bolt cutters, just agog at what I'm seeing. And then somebody spotted my truck and everybody starts honking their horns and all the brake lights come on and everybody looks around and they start waving at me and then they reverse back up the road because you can't turn around there. It's real narrow. And so they back all the way up to the blue gates and do K turns and then drive down the right hand road to get where. <laughs> and they all, you know, they pull up and they stop and jump out and rush over to me. And are you OK? And I'm like, I'm fine. How are you? I, can't, I mean, who called this meeting? I don't even know what we're doing. And Toby jumps out of the window of Happy's truck and saunters over to my pickup and jumps in the back and lays down. And he is perfectly calm, and, and that's really not uncommon. That's what he would have done had he not gotten a ride. He would have done that. And everybody's just staring at me, and I'm just staring at them, trying to figure out what's going on. Finally, Happy, as the spokesman of the group, says, well, I'll be dadgum. We've been played, y'all. And I said, what do you mean you've been played? He said, well, we were working cows up at the, at the vet clinic, and we were all up there working, and, and your dog, Toby, comes up, and, and he does that thing, you know, the help me, follow me. the Like, if you ever watched Lassie on TV, where Lassie would come up and bark, and the guy would go, what, is it Timmy? Has Timmy fallen down the well? <laughs> and so, you know, we're all attuned to watch animals to see what's wrong, and they know Toby never goes anywhere without me. And he's there and I'm not. And they're like, oh, my gosh, James is hurt. He's laying in a pasture somewhere and Toby has come to get help. What a great dog. Come on, y'all. Let's go. And so the posse saddles up and they ride through my ranch looking for me with Toby hanging out the window, trying to find his master to make sure everything's OK with him. And because they're convinced that I'm just in terrible trouble and they've all come to help because this dog has come to see him. And really all that had happened was my dog was lost. And y'all, my dog went and found somebody to, to help him find me. <laughs> Either that or he just didn't want to walk down to the bottom pasture and wanted to ride down there in style and bring some friends. So <laughs> That's a smart dog right there. Good dog, smart dog. To say the least, uh, Happy and the rest of them were not really happy about their little uh adventure, but they all did agree that that was one mighty smart dog. He was, too. Thanks for listening. Stay alert and stay safe. Uh, you know, disasters like these tornadoes that have been going on this week really refine your priorities. You can watch interviews with people and they say the same thing over and over again. You know what? Everything may be destroyed, but we're all still alive, and that's what matters. You know, it really it really boils down what's important. And what's important is your life. That's what matters. Uh, if you're alive, things can get better. Uh, and that's what these people, I've seen it over and over and over again. They go on and they rebuild and they get new stuff and they have a new perspective on life and they value each other's time a lot more than they used to. Good things can come out of disasters. I've seen it. You've probably seen it too. But you know what? I say the same thing every week because I think it's true. The best is yet to come. These folks that are, have been in these tornadoes, good things can come from this. Hang in there, folks. The best is yet to come. This is Old Hat signing off. Thanks for listening.